0: Welcome to the In Common podcast, this is Stefan. In this episode, I'm interviewing Guido Caniglia. Guido is the scientific director of the Konrad Lorenz Institute for Evolution and Cognition Research in Austria. The institute refers to itself as a home for theory that matters, for life and sustainability sciences. In his own work, Guido explores how experimental and theoretical practices contribute to produce evidence and knowledge about complex phenomena of transformation from the evolution of social behaviors to purposeful transformations towards sustainability. Guido has two different PhD degrees, a PhD in philosophy from the University of Florence in Italy, followed by a PhD in biology from Arizona State University in the US. We talk about how to improve collaborative processes in science, how to learn to collaborate while collaborating, we also discuss his perspectives on the types of knowledge needed to foster sustainability transformations and how that knowledge would best be produced. We also discuss his perspectives on radical pluralism. This is the In Common Podcast. Guido, welcome to the podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank
1: you, Stefan. It's a pleasure to, to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: So we were, we were just joking about how you know, we, we kind of miss the uh, the person behind the science often. And then some of these podcast episodes have helped put some of that mm-hmm. personality into it. And I think one one of those things uh, which is a bit missing in the, the COVID pandemic times is that we just don't interact in person anymore with each other mm-hmm. as much. Like we have a lot of Zoom calls, but uh, there's this personal aspect like both before and after meetings, for example, where you would have that yeah. small talk you yeah. get to know people a little bit better, which is often often missing. I'd, mm-hmm. I would be interested in your thoughts on, well, first, just how has the pandemic influenced your your thoughts about research and your kind of day-to-day way that you go about research? I mean, you've now been the, the scientific director since um, 2018 of the KLI. Mm-hmm. And how, what, what has changed for you guys there? And uh, how, how does it change the way you think about the goal of science? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, speaking of the, you know, the m- missing, uh, the in-person interactions. Uh, at the same time, I think all of us have uh, then developed uh, a more nuance or so like uh, of ways of uh, uh, interacting through the digital world, which we listen, I guess, m- many more podcast episodes that we would have done before because we. They give us that personal ball, that that approach to people and research and science, uh, as well as we, you know, maybe watch more videos or other things that, uh, sort of like make make out for for that uh, um, missing piece of personal interaction. So uh, I think we did learn a bit also how to uh, uh, engage despite the 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 absence of uh, of personal. Um, Uh, interactions. How did the pandemic change? Uh, Well, I think this was uh, a a major, it it impacted, of course, the life, my my life as a researcher, as the director of the Institute and of uh, everybody um, who inhabits the space uh, at the KLI. I think we did pretty well (laughs) in the end and also uh, in comparison to, we are uh, a, a, a home for theory. We say so. It's a it's a place that it's dedicated to reflections, uh, conversations uh, that foster than possibly better science. And um, for us, we we didn't have those those uh, those problems that many of uh, who who for instance were doing field research uh had to face of uh, uh either not being able to stay or having to fly back and so on and so on um, and uh, what what we did was to to move uh, online trying to 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 keep up with each other and to stay connected uh, through the digital environment um I was lucky enough to have worked in a in a in a project before for several years where we had actually tried all possible. It's called the global classroom where we had tried all possible ways to use digital technologies across different geographies. We had like a classroom in Germany and a classroom in the U.S. and we tried all possible ways of stay connecting and working together for that, and that helped a lot. I I guess gave me a lot of confidence about (laughs) to deal with this absence of in-person communication. And, and then we are like in this, we get back to the, to the Institute at times and we make the best out of it. We hang out outside and we have a beautiful garden, like where we can meet and hang out. And then we go back and disperse into our offices and then try to gather for a walk and then disperse again. and so, t- trying to use the, the also like the outsides uh, a bit more, but we made it to 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 even uh, to 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 work together and and do things despite the the situation.
2: Yeah,
0: when I'm looking at your your work and the few pieces that you sent me before this, one mm-hmm. of the strings that I see through your work is this idea of creating the right conditions. To, to foster the type of knowledge mm-hmm. that we need to to move towards sustainability transformation mm-hmm. and so a lot of that seems to be reflecting on practices within the science system Yep. Mm-hmm. and some of the challenges that go along with that those conditions and i like this idea of conditions for change i think that was one of the Mm-hmm. Uh, memes that I pulled out of, of one of your papers, one of them which was reflecting on the COVID pandemic, and another was, which I enjoyed, was an, a paper that you authored with Rebecca Freeth about mm-hmm. why interdisciplinarity is so challenging and how we mm-hmm. have to create these uh, conditions, like, What you conditions, right? And the term I think is epistemic living spaces, which uh, mm-hmm. you know, is one of these words that we use, but maybe we can unpack it a little bit more. And what do you think that uh, interest comes from to think about
1: the conditions for change? I think that the, the main, um, let's say, the creating condition is almost uh, the opposite of uh, um, controlling change. I think uh, thinking about change and transformation uh, uh, on any level, in, or at least in many levels, thinking, okay, I do this and I expect this thing to happen. And I try to control the change. I think uh, that's the the worst, most most linear, least uh, realistic way of of conceiving of change. Um, whereas uh, thinking in terms of okay, I set set up the the space, I set up the conditions so that then something can emerge out of this uh, is. Uh, a way of thinking about change in many in in many contexts uh, that takes into account the complexity emergence uh, of the of of the of the real world of the of the complexity of the complex systems that we have to deal with, and I don't think we I mean I I, I guess that even from from daily life to much more complex social situations, as soon as we try to 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 direct That change, it just doesn't work. And so the, the thing that I think we can do is to put systems in place with those conditions where then evolution, uh, can take, um, on, right? With emergence, with all this complexity that we often talk about when we talk about uh, social ecological systems or other kinds of systems. So, it is it is for me uh, the, the, the opposite of this command and control idea that we often have about how change can happen.
0: A lot of that, and related more to the piece that you wrote together with Rebecca, which we'll link to in the show notes for those who are interested, a lot of that comes around collaborative partnerships, collaborative learning, and within science, particularly interdisciplinary collaboration and partnerships. It's a term that both together with sustainability transformations that I probably interdisciplinarity more so that Mm -hmm. you hear quite often, people use it a lot. It's it's kind of a buzzword, uh, so to say. But we don't really, it's not really clear to me that we have a good understanding of those sets of conditions, which can Mm -hmm. make those types of collaborations fruitful. And I think Mm -hmm. many of us Probably listening are engaged in interdisciplinary projects or at least some sort of partnership collaboration with others. What do you see as some of the barriers?
1: First, the piece that we that we wrote with Rebecca, which emerged also out of Rebecca's work in a big interdisciplinary project, um, exactly trying to understand challenges and opportunities of uh, interdisciplinary work. So when you put people together who belong to different disciplines, we met then in in the realization that uh, we are just not good at doing interdisciplinary work, that most interdisciplinary projects fail. And so what we thought was, okay, how can we, instead of, uh, let's say, praising the need for uh, interdisciplinarity as a buzzword, uh, And think about uh, where we, where we're at, which is a situation of uh, failure in a way and uh, frame that situation in a way that that can help us from where we're at improve in doing what we're doing instead of setting up, you know, a vision of what interdisciplinarity should be that uh, we're never going to reach. And so we reflected through her experiences. Uh, also a lot uh, on uh, how to conceive of the space of interdisciplinary. And this is this epistemic living space. And first and foremost, that interdisciplinarity has these many dimensions. It, uh, if a collaboration works or not depends on uh, the disciplines involved and all the values connected to those but it also depends on the space literally like that you inhabit together if uh, uh, as well as on the different requirements of people uh, uh, you know a phd student has different requirements for a postdoc the different uh, needs than uh, than uh, than a professor and so when you put them all together and you just say okay now we have to pro- do something that connects these those requirements uh, get in the way and And so it is really like embedding interdisciplinarity in the complexity of uh, researchers, people's lives. And this is this epistemic living spaces that's that's the living part of these uh, collaborations. And uh, this is the I think one of the majors of uh, one of the main learnings that I got from the collaboration with Rebecca was exactly also the the focus on uh, Learning to collaborate. This is and learning to collaborate while collaborating. Uh, it is not something that you can teach uh, beforehand, like or uh, upfront. It is the, the the collaborative capacities are developed. We learn how to do this while doing it, and therefore that one of the main um, conditions. For interdisciplinary collaborations to um, to work is to allow to give space for this kind of reflection that allows for learning to allow for people to exchange about the challenges, the different perspectives that are brought in, and and work through them. It is in this very process learning context that uh, that that m- can make this collaboration. Uh, work, um, otherwise uh, often they're pretty much doomed to doomed to failure yeah, one thing I took away from the paper
0: was also that this recognition that interdisciplinary collaboration as a starting point is something that is uncomfortable uh-huh uh, the, yeah, and mm-hmm. that recognition that this challenge it's going to be hard, it's going to be uncomfortable as a starting point creates a better premise for going forward instead of getting to that thinking that it's going to be great. Because we Mm -hmm. bring interdisciplinarity and then getting to a point where it's uncomfortable and then thinking that that's a step back or a setback or something
1: uh, which is
0: not usual.
1: Totally. And it's where the learning starts, right? That, that sense of discomfort, if uh, then reflected upon and if owned in a way instead of, uh, uh, sort of like put aside is where I think uh, the, the potential for a productive, good interdisciplinary collaboration can uh, can emerge. Do you
0: think we get enough training? I, I think mine sense is that we don't get enough training, particularly at the PhD level, given the other constraints and pressures for publishing, field work, et cetera, and also the pressure for fitting into a disciplinary mold, more or less. Mm-hmm. Is this a problem of training? Is this uh, a problem of, something or something you just need to learn through going through experience and having the right type of mentality or approach
1: to it? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a bit of both. The training, of course, is tailored to the current reward system of academia, which is based on discipline. So in order to advance, often you have to show that you can do Good disciplinary work in order to get uh, from the PhD to the postdoc to the, that professorship level or whatever one wants to do. So that's, a, that's a big sy- system constraint in a way. That's a bit, that's how the system uh, works with exceptions uh, that are uh, growing and uh, in different universities that start questioning and putting different reward systems in place. But overall, it's uh, that's that's the system, uh, which makes me think it is uh, uh, it is uh, those in charge of uh, running the system should think about how to change it. But it's one cannot expect that the PhD students uh, have to you know pay the toll for for this, right? So it it does make sense that training uh, is disciplinary if. Uh, then what one can get uh, is uh, is is a disciplinary job. I do think though that and also that this uh, this the disciplinary training is also a good training in terms of like learning how to do certain things, you know, uh, in terms of like rigor, in terms of uh, many many of the values that 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 uh, characterize uh, and and mode of operation of science. I do think also that next to this, it would be important to create more spaces, opportunities, experiences, exposures to exactly this collaborative dimension of interdisciplinarity. It is not that people have to become jack of all trades. It is not that. Uh, People, everybody should become interdisciplinary in uh, their uh, work, but it would be extremely important to help to create opportunities over the course of uh, a PhD training to exactly become aware of uh, those different dimensions that uh, uh that one encounters in collaborative work from more personal to epistemic epistemological and complex ones um and learn how to deal with those because uh, every collaboration is going to be different one has to develop almost like this kind of uh, wisdom of uh, how to deal with these different situations different people different different collaborators in interdisciplinary work. And this is not something that uh, you teach. It is something that you learn by doing it. So creating those experiences uh, would be extremely uh, important. And this is something that institutions and those in charge of institutions can and should do. And it can be as easy as, uh, you know, in a reading group situation, make sure that uh, if, people belonging to different disciplines read the same text, for instance, the same article, the same paper, that there is a moment in which one can say, okay, but where does this perspective that I have come from? How do I position myself in relation to this paper, as well as in relation to all uh, the other perspectives that are in the room at the moment? And this is maybe the the basic, basic level, let's say, of... uh, of Of reflection, and then it can be you know further and further elaborated and constructed and and I also think I think I take the reading group uh, the reading uh, group example because it's usually taken to be as something that it, you know either it's not even worth doing it or it doesn't serve any purpose. but one could use even that uh, activity in order to foster certain Capacities to understand relate to uh, the diversity that uh, characterizes interdisciplinary uh, collaborations. That's like the, the 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 minimum that one can do, which means also everybody can do it. you don't have to have a billions uh, trillions of dollars project in order to you know foster certain things. You can do it really like uh, it's just a matter of. Uh, being aware that it's important and, and, and so being willing to invest the time and energy in doing that.
0: Yeah, it, I think it sets up nicely. Another stream that I saw going through your work is what might be called as a theory of change for sustainability transformations mm-hmm. through thinking about different types of knowledge that need to be produced mm-hmm. and not just the types of knowledge that are produced, but how and why those different types mm-hmm. of knowledge are produced. It's something that I've been struggling with, um, as we mentioned before, sustainability mm-hmm. transformations is can enter the realm of buzzword in the sense that we use it, but I don't know if we as a broader research community reflect on the types of processes and changes that we need to get there along the way. And I think your work on different types of knowledge that are needed, and, and this referencing more the, the piece in nature sustainability, which again we'll link to which, mm-hmm. which starts to think about those different types of knowledges. And I feel there is a, a kind of old a narrative that's been long, uh, around for a while in terms of thinking about how science can foster change, and that's largely centered around a science communication narrative,
2: mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. we need
0: either more science communication or that we need to do science communication better. And if we just do that, then we mm-hmm. can influence sustainability transformation in society. But I think that your your reflections on, well, rather it's about co-creation processes, which links to Mm -hmm. challenges for interdisciplinary collaboration and even transdisciplinary Mm -hmm. collaboration, that it's really about setting these conditions for change Mm -hmm. and generating the types of knowledges that are needed for sustainability transformation. And then that's an embedded social process rather Mm -hmm. than a science communication one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I'm really interested if, if, you, if that resonates with the way that you think about it.
1: Totally. This is, this sums up <laughs> much better than I guess I could do. Uh, many of the, uh, of the things that, uh, uh myself with, uh, um, the, uh, this, uh, group of amazing authors that we have in this, uh, in this paper, uh, each of, uh, uh and each bringing, um, uh they they their their knowledge and understanding of this uh, of these processes um into into that uh, uh into that paper for instance um so yeah, i mean you touched upon several things uh, i guess as um one um say uh, one is the theory of change and the other one is let's say the science society connection uh relationship um I must say I think in in both cases, I am a, a radical pluralist in in, in a sense uh, mm-hmm. because uh, I do think that we need many, many ways of relating science and society as well as many, many ways of creating change uh, and that uh, only if uh, you know these are unleashed there might emerge something that is uh, a transformation towards something better. Uh, it's not going to be one political decision or one changing mind shift or one thing that is going to make it. If any, it's going to be a very almost like anarchic experimental emergent process that involves many people, many voices, many modes, and so on and so on. So this being said, (laughs) this is the perspective, let's say, from which I would uh, over, overall uh, address the, the, these topics that you have uh, mentioned, um, which means also in particular to the, to the relationship between science uh, and society. Um, I do think that science communication is essential, like better science communication, investing more in, communicating in and and not just communicate just like sharing science i would uh, i would say and even there uh, for instance we recently did a project which was uh, an art science project and one of the themes there uh, was uh, how how can the arts help sharing science uh, in a way that it's not communicating these abstract concepts uh, to people but rather helping maybe embodying some of the knowledge that is uh, in this scientific scientific knowledge uh, or embedding it in uh, something that is uh, not just you know telling people what to do in the sense i think there is a lot of work that can be done that it's also inter and transdisciplinary that can improve scientific communication on certain topics and things and uh, uh, and at the same time i do think that, so i, I see this, the science society interface as a as a very as a continuum of of possibilities uh, that we need better sense communication but we also need w- what you mentioned in terms of like uh, more spaces uh, and and opportunities for really co-creating Knowledge, which, uh, where different perspectives, cultures, uh, ways of knowing, ways of conceiving the world, so like are brought into together to figure things out, both for framing and for also deliberating, deciding where to go next in certain situation from a neighborhood to a city. To a school district to whatever the the context or the system of interest is that's uh, that uh, that one uh, that one deals with but yeah it's uh w- whereas I, I i mean for instance that, that paper you mentioned is more on the co-production cooperation side I do also think that uh, the science society interface uh, should be full of options of how to do that, and only if we sort of like uh, foster all those options and nurture them, then maybe this world of research and science can contribute something to Mm -hmm. society and human flourishing or whatever it is that uh, we might want to contribute to.
0: Yeah, one thing that I I took away from that, I I think it was towards the, the discussion conclusion of the paper was this idea that if we or I think you mentioned in the text there that if we want to contribute towards changing or transforming Mm -hmm. towards sustainability through research, then we need to shift away from the assumption that researchers should be separate from the processes of change that they're investigating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And uh, I think many people might read that as a radical thing. This idea of the scientist as the neutral observer, the subject-object relationship, this type of Emotional disconnection is kind of what has traditionally been put forward as the role of who the scientist is, and I I would see a claim like you make in this paper as something which can really help dissolve the construct of the researcher as the knowledge holder, as the and therefore the power holder uh, for change, and and the power holder as a change agent and the one mm -hmm. who has the agency for the knowledge creation
1: and therefore what is done with the knowledge totally and uh, um i i also think i mean it's uh, this is uh, let's say what is often called uh, or referred to as this knowledge action gap right so that there is a, and this in reference especially to you know scientists researchers create knowledge and then There's the gap, right? Then what, what, what is done is uh, we tell policymakers what to do, or we tell citizens what's good for them or not. And uh, I just don't think this works. It's also because it's, uh, we, we have, uh, I, I think a very impoverished knowledge emerging if we do it all on our own. And all on our terms, right? Especially if it's about the, let's say the the complex social-ecological socio-technical systems that we that we deal with in uh, um, in sustainability. In order to get uh, like uh, knowledge of of those systems and how to deal with them, uh, we do need those who. Who inhabit also those the systems, uh, and not just by interviewing them, but to through this co-creation process, which is super difficult, right? It's like it's uh, there's nothing that that goes against uh, also some of the values of science than uh, these these contexts. But this is why it's it is worth investing in understanding how to do that. It's worth investing in doing that. It's worth in, investing in writing about what are the kinds of knowledge that are needed uh, and uh, like doing research on and in this context to actually understand what is going on. It's not something that happens just uh, it's a big shift as you mentioned you know from the more traditional way of understanding what the uh, uh, researchers should do and and uh, we I think we we understand very little of uh, how to do it there is like interdisciplinary research action research and all these fields that have have already done a lot of work in the in this direction but I think if we compare uh you know the level of sophistication that we have uh, about coming from how to do physics and the uh, or uh, molecular biology and the level of sophistication that, that we have on how to you know Generate knowledge uh, in uh, this uh, more science society, stakeholders, participatory context. One, one sees uh, and uh, a huge gap, it, it, a, a huge difference in the comparison. Right. So yeah. it's not, it's not that uh, this action-oriented co-produced research is better than the other one. It's just that honestly, we this uh, we, we know way less how to do it uh, and. Uh, that uh, this is why I think it's it's important to push for more funding, more structures, more uh, investment into into this, and maybe subtract a bit from other uh, research uh, uh, approaches that are already pretty well established. So it's rather like a rel- relative argument. It's not uh, an argument that this is uh, you know better research than the other one. I think.
0: I'd like to take a step back and talk a little bit more about your, your personal background and your, I know mm-hmm. you have two PhDs, which is uh, pretty unique, uh, at <laughs> at least in all, and in two very different uh, disciplines from the University of Florence in, in philosophy, yeah. and then mm-hmm. later from ASU in biology and society or science and society. Correct. How did you first come into academia uh, and get interested in philosophy? And then what, what was this transition uh, into a different
1: focus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it was a, it was an interesting journey, I think uh, over overall. So the interesting philosophy, like, I do I start from the beginning a bit. The the interesting philosophy emerged actually out of um, the Italian system education system, which uh, actually includes philosophy uh, as uh, one of the main uh, subjects in high school. And uh, I was uh, very fortunate to have uh, excellent science and philosophy teachers. And just sort of like uh, realized that I didn't want to make a choice right away and say, okay, now I'm going to uh, study physics or uh, biology and philosophy offered the most, uh, the broadest, uh, let's say, and uh, and I thought more fulfilling approach to, to things. I was always, uh, interested in science though in sciences uh, overall life sciences uh, even more than uh, you know more physical sciences um, and uh, uh, this is why then i specialized a bit in philosophy of science because science fascin- like the science world the research world fa- always fascinated me as something To, to, to be better understood, to to contribute to. And so I started. So then developed into philosophy of science. And uh, when you do philosophy of science as a philosopher, you realize that maybe you should know the science (laughs) a bit better, you know, instead of just pontificating about what scientists should be doing or what it is like and so on and so on. Hence the, uh, the decision. To, um, to do it, to get a second degree, which was, uh, um, in, in a, in an excellent, beautiful, wonderful department, uh, of science and society in a school of life sciences. So where, um, uh, we were a, which is the Center for Biology and Society at uh, Arizona State University, where uh, I could keep doing my, uh, research work on the, uh, philosophy history of science side but also get exposed participating working in labs wet labs uh, doing work in and with with the scientists uh, and so getting uh, not only reading about uh, you know the results but also participating to this to the scientific process and understanding how things work how um all all these uh, dimensions of uh, of uh, science as a as a process um and uh, and then there was the first like the this actually my my encounter then with sustainability more specifically was uh, very contingent in a way because it was due to um landing <laughs> i still remember this moment where Flying for the first time into Phoenix, uh, Arizona, with this uh, huge metropolitan area in the middle of the desert, uh, with sun scorching land, and and uh, and thinking there's something wrong here. (laughs) 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 And I could because I didn't even know what sustainability was, or what I I, I don't come. I rather come from biology and evolutionary biology and not much from environmental sciences and that that side of things. Um and so this was like a very experience based <laughs> call for for it. And then luckily actually ASU also has the first school of sustainability in in the US and and so on and so on. And so I got exposed while being there to to all this and I thought uh, uh, it would be uh, actually good to try to contribute with the uh, with the tools that I have with what I can do to this field because it is uh, uh, it is it is important but I I do remember that landing into into Phoenix and this first experience of uh, of um, of an imbalanced situation uh, in terms of like in social ecological terms
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that's uh, it's a crazy place but, but with a wonderful sustainability school and lots of exactly there.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah
0: so after Arizona did you go I know you then were you
1: received a Marie Curie fellowship I believe correct coming back into Germany mm-hmm. and the the thing is while uh, at ASU I worked I was a postdoc uh, and like manager coordinator together with uh uh some colleagues from Germany on uh, this global classroom project that I mentioned uh, at the beginning of, of our conversation, which was uh, uh, an experiment, a project of three years project in curriculum reform for uh, uh, in higher education for sustainable development. So, it was uh, trying to um, figure out how to provide this. Uh, um, Global and local uh, experience, uh, and uh, uh, two students uh, of of sustainability, and so we had a class, a classroom, a class a cohort in 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 the U.S. and one in Germany, and uh, we use digital technologies as well as trips between the the two places to um, to, to 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 foster these competences. Uh, for uh, sustainability and and to figure out exactly like also what institutional support do you need, as well as what kind of instructors can deal with that, so, you know, how to deal with the, with this curriculum from the more practical sides to the more abstract epistemological issues that emerge, and uh, so this is why I, I have been working between the U.S. and Germany for a few years. And then decided that, uh, um, to move back to, uh, to Germany, uh, and that I did, uh, um, first with, uh, with some months of, uh, postdocs, uh, that, uh, at the Institute of, uh, um, sustainability, Faculty of Sustainability at Lefana and then for the Marie Curie. That allowed me then to, to stay there and to also shift to bring the educational focus, uh, Together with the epistemological uh, focus, and so to to start working more also on issues related to sustainability, real world experimentation, knowledge, learning, and uh, and all this uh, uh, and all these things. And from there, I moved to Vienna.
0: I'm curious if you see any kind of meaningful differences between some of the European approaches to. Knowledge co-creation, sustainability, science, and those with U.S. colleagues. Do you see is there any substantive or meaningful differences there, or is it? Uh,
1: that's an interesting question because it's. Uh, I I don't know if uh, definitely in the experience between the students, for instance, I think there were different attitudes. For instance, just just it might be also a bit uh, stereotypical, but. Uh, A willingness uh, from the U.S. side to experiment and dare, in comparison to the to the German cohort, which was much more reluctant to uh, experiment with new things and also like in interact much more critical, questioning, reflecting on why one was doing it and how and who is involved. I mean, there were the thing is that there were many many also Europeans working uh, in at ASU in this project from from the American side as well. But I, I wouldn't say that the differences were on the sustainability topic. It was, uh, again, if one thinks about the epistemic living space, it was rather about the role that maybe as a professor one thinks one has or sense of hierarchy or dealing with space, dealing with uh, bodies even, and so on and so on. Uh, but not strictly speaking, sustainability related. Well, since
0: you've been science director at KLI's a couple of years now, I'm interested in your your kind of role, your role there, how you view your role there, and
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: What, what, how do you view yourself as positioned as as a, as an actor within an institute focused on which seems to be quite interdisciplinary in many different yeah. types of projects. So I'd, I'd be interested in reflections on how you view your role and and how you would like to be positioned in that institute and, and then maybe some of the, the initiatives you're, you're trying to mm-hmm. push, push mm-hmm. at the institute.
1: Yes, so the, the, the KLI, is, as you mentioned, is a highly interdisciplinary uh, space and as I mentioned it uh, has been traditionally uh, a place for theory, so for this kind of uh, philosophical theoretical uh, reflections in different fields especially evolutionary biology and uh, biology more generally i brought the sustainability uh, focus in the mix and started talking about the home to theory that matters so to speak to add this uh, a bit more the the, the relevance of uh, uh, both within science and for society how i see my role I, I i am the scientific director so what i what i do is organizing the space the activities uh, uh as well as con- participating to the decision process of uh, new fellows uh, and uh, i mean no 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 wonder i i see myself as creating some kind of condition so that people can uh, learn uh, mutually interact learn from one another um enrich the conversations so i uh, it's really like what we talked about before in terms of like the epistemic, uh, living space, uh, and the trajectory of people dealing with discomfort, uh, um, embracing that. That's the kind of processes that I sort of like like and like to, 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 to nurture at least in this, uh, in this space. Um, and uh, um, our, uh, we have two kinds of fellowships. Uh, we have writing up fellowships, which are for uh, late stage PhD students who have to uh, write up and finish their dissertation. These are, I think, a wonderful opportunity to uh, to have those six months to just do that uh, and get away from any project duties or uh, any other a uh, duty that uh, one might have as a phd student um and uh, they're particularly good i think also to uh, allow for stepping back and this is why this is the right place i think it's it's a good place to 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 do that um because it's uh, uh it's usually about you know writing this uh, framing papers or or uh, to, to tie the different and disparate things that often one has to do as a PhD student, and trying to you know find uh, the the argument behind it or the reasoning and so on. And so these are the the writing up fellows, uh, and the, and then we have the postdocs, and the postdocs work on uh, their own research. So this is. Uh, um, of course, the process of selection is uh, takes into account balancing different approaches here at the Institute and uh, um, FOSI and so on and so on. But uh, it is, I think, also a, a pretty good opportunity to work on your own uh, things, um, instead of, again, having to work on someone else's project and uh, um, so it allows for this, uh, also, it, but it also does require that kind of support and mentorship and, uh, um, peer, uh, pe- peer support as well to not feel too lonely in this, uh, very competitive world that is, uh, being an early career researcher. And so these are all, uh, and it is in this space between the people that I try to 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 do things so that uh, there is uh, cooperation emerging, there is support emerging, um, and uh, uh, it 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 works. <laughs> it works, and uh, it is one of the things that I think is nice about this space is really um, that this. Uh, that despite being a small institute, you have a diversity that is comparable to the diversity of a university, from evolutionary biologists to philosophers of science to historians of science to ecological economists to sustainability scientists. Uh, and so on On a smaller scale, it allows exactly for uh, um, honing, for uh, uh, developing those uh, skills and competences uh, that... Uh, uh, can uh, then be very useful uh, on uh, in in one's career, ge- and and so dealing with uh, multiple uh, um, disciplines, uh, understandings of things, uh, and so on and so on. So it's a it's a good it's a bit of a it's 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 a good um, incubator for for that uh, for that kind of uh, uh, growth. Before we wrap
0: up, I'd be interested to hear what gets you excited about new projects. What are you? Either working on currently that you're willing to share, or things that you would like to kind of invest more time and energy into uh, to solve or to work on.
1: So I, I guess there's two different uh, sets of uh, of projects and uh, um, some uh, sort of uh, ongoing that are more um, local and so trying to also establish collaborations on topics for instance um plastic pollution uh, um in together with other researchers here uh, as well as with local stakeholders of how to deal uh, with uh, um with with uh, plastics uh, in in the specific context and how to provide some kind of uh, ways of uh, um, addressing this um as well as more uh, citizen um i mentioned this art science project that that we did which had to go fully online uh for obvious reasons but that originally had the um goal to exactly mobilize to 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 uh, this art science collaboration in order to create opportunities and spaces for citizens and people to um be motivated towards uh, change in a way, and so this kind of like experimenting with different formats uh, that to to relate science uh, and uh, and people and this is one strain, and then uh, I keep working on uh, more let's say conceptual theoretical uh things that uh, um, and maybe two are the ones that i'm most invested on at the moment and trying to to wrap up together with uh, other colleagues from a bit all over the world. And one is I, I call it practical wisdom. And in in uh, for researchers in sustainability research, meaning when we talk about this action oriented, actionable knowledge, uh, um, you said it's uh, it's it's not the usual thing that we do as researchers. And therefore, I also think that um, the way we are as researchers uh, needs to change a bit in order to be able to generate that kind of knowledge. I mean, we cannot just deal with our laptops uh, and uh, the data in our lab and so on and so on. We need to be able to, to contribute, to participate to this uh, complex deliberation spaces and change processes. And that does require a different character it's not only you know a different uh, skill it's really like uh, you, you got to be be a bit different you got to be uh and uh, and i'm trying to sort of like deal with that being dimension that it's very hard to sort like capture how to deal with it in a way that it's not just saying we have to be different and we have to be able to do this uh, but to provide a bit of uh, scaffolding to 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 get to the being <laughs> of the of the action-oriented transdisciplinary researcher in terms of and i use these tools uh, that come from aristotle on that talk about phronesis or practical wisdom or uh, prudence right to, to sort of like articulate a bit what what that might mean mm-hmm. um and and then other things but uh this is one of the major ones. And another another one just to mention is on uh Connecting, um, which I'm also very excited about, queer theories uh, and uh, uh, transdisciplinary sustainability research, because I do think that queering up a bit the field could benefit a lot.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this is not a, a, an issue of uh, of gender or uh, uh, that doesn't have anything to do with uh, sexuality per se, but uh, with uh, with the kind of uh, um, disorientation uh, as well as uh, post opening of possibilities of uh, not getting stuck with certain identities uh, of embracing transitions transformations uh, that uh, i think queer theory have elaborated a lot uh, on and that could contribute to enrich the way also in, in in transition and transformation research We think about uh, uh, these processes as well as of ourselves in and within uh, these processes.
0: Thanks for tuning in. The In Common podcast is produced by Michael Cox, Courtney Hammond-Wagner and myself. We are a partner project of the International Association for the Study of the Commons and the International Journal of the Commons. To listen to more episodes, you can find us on any podcast app or listen on our website, www.incommonpodcast.org. On our website, you will find our link to our blog and our Patreon page where you can make a small donation to help us cover our operating costs. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at incommonpod.